Salutations from space, and welcome to the Storytelling Podcast with your host and celestial navigator, Gemini Brett of More Than Astrology. This show honors the ancient tradition of verbal transmission, so each episode will begin with a new telling of an old myth or legend. We will then seek to unveil hidden gems of cosmological, philosophical, astronomical, psychological, astrological, and mystical wisdom woven into the web of these starry stories. We will feature original music and guests from all walks of the way. We are gathered here today to celebrate the marriage of heaven and earth, the as above to the so below, the as without to the so within. Let us begin. We are go for lunch. It is said the greatest mortal musician ever known was Orpheus, though some have suggested he was semi-divine. The beautiful voice and the way that he would play the lyre, that the animals would follow in his footsteps, and that even the trees would bend to hear his songs. He had many great adventures, one perhaps the greatest quest ever known, that for the Golden Fleece with Jason and his other Argonauts. And they returned successful, the Golden Fleece in tow. Orpheus, in many ways, was to thank. His music saved the Argonauts more than once and put the dragon that guarded the Golden Fleece to sleep so that it could be relieved from that dragon's company brought home. Now, when Orpheus came home successful in this quest for the Golden Fleece and celebrated as a hero, he fell in love. Love at first sight, for when he saw Eurydice, he knew she must be his bride. Unfortunately, she felt the same about him. They were soon wed. And that night would be the most joyous of his life. And the most terrible. For it wasn't long after they spoke their vows and had that first, well, that first official kiss. That she was bitten by a viper in the garden and instantly died. And as it is when mortals do, her soul descended into the land below the underworld known as Hades. Now Orpheus knew that she had left, had been taken at an age that was far too young. And he decided to follow her, but that he would follow her alive. And this had never been done, you see. The living are not allowed in Hades. But Orpheus knew that he could bring her back if he could convince Persephone to convince Pluto to just this one time break the rules of the underworld. For certainly, her life had been claimed too young, so he played the most beautiful music. Music that put that three-headed guard dog Carabas to sleep at the gates of Hades, and he descended, and he played, and he sang as he walked into the underworld. 
Now, typically, if the living were to walk down there, if they could even make it past the guard dog, they wouldn't last too long for the spirits come <laughs> and haunt those who are other than shades in the land below. But this day, when this beautiful song echoed throughout the halls of Hades, these shades, though, that they had drank from that lake of forgetting upon entering their new home below, at this one moment remembered, they remembered love, the loves that they had learned here on earth above. It said that even Sisyphus stopped rolling that rock that he's always rolling up the hill. And others were released from their eternal torture because they paused to hear the beauty of this music. This music that was enough to earn a trip across the river of Styx, though Charon usually asked for a coin. The music that preceded Orpheus as he descended and finally found his way to the Room of Thrones and to Persephone's ear. And it said that even Pluto, Hades himself, cried an iron tear when he heard this beautiful music. And the song that sang of one who was taken too young and who deserved to be returned to her home above and to the arms of this musician who was her true love. Persephone, perhaps a little bit ahead of schedule, longed for a home her other home, her home in the light. This music weighed upon her and lifted her. And maybe Hades would not admit he felt the same, but either way he agreed when she asked to let this musician have his way. Eurydice would be allowed to leave. She would be allowed to follow Orpheus, to follow that beautiful harp and song that sang of true love. There was a condition, of course. He must trust that she followed and not look back until they both were graced again by the light of the world above. And so they walked and climbed, and he played this beautiful, beautiful song with his heart now happy to know that his love was following him to her rebirth, to his arms. But he could not hear her steps, for she was just a shade. He could not feel her breath on his neck, for she had none. This would not be reclaimed until she was reawakened in the light. And he trusted and fought every urge to look upon the beauty of his love, every urge to see if she truly was behind him and not lost in the darkness. He fought those urges and he played that beautiful music and sang those beautiful words that kept the spirits at bay and earned his passage, perhaps theirs, back across that river sticks, and they climbed and climbed and climbed. 
and found their way to the light that breathed into that tunnel. And they climbed and walked and climbed and walked and played this beautiful song, fighting those urges to look back. And finally he had made it into the light. Success. He had entered the underworld and brought back his bride from death. He turned around to embrace his love, but she still had one foot in the darkness. He had failed to wait long enough and she would have to return to Hades, where the dead dwell and the living are not allowed. Hermes himself came to take her back to the land below and made sure that Orpheus knew he this time would not follow and not be allowed there again while a heart beat in his chest. He considered relieving himself of that condition in that moment, but didn't and couldn't. It seemed his heart actually beat louder than it ever had before. This pain, this sadness, and these songs came from him again and again. These songs of beauty, but these songs of a heart that had lost the truth it had known. A heart that had lost a love that was too young. A heart that grieved for failing patience, jumping too quickly. And so in that time, he invented what we call the ballad. And he would just sit, basically starving himself, refusing the company of others, and play these sad songs in the forest, by the sea. But he didn't play them for long, perhaps three days, before his sad songs were heard by the ears of the maniacs, the followers of Dionysus, god of jubilance, of intoxication, of wine, inebriation, of sexuality ecstasy and his followers were all about the joy and the bliss you know they couldn't deal with that sad business <laughs> and so it is said they tore Orpheus limb from limb and threw his head in the river it is also said his limbs were buried by Dionysus himself at the foot of Mount Olympus. And there the nightingales sing the most beautiful songs. And that his head floated in that river into the sea and found its way to the Isle of Lesbos where it was honored for being more than just a head. For it would seem that Orpheus still spoke and spoke only truth. And it was stationed in a cave there and this was a place people would go to hear prophecy. And it is said that the prophecy was so true that when the folks in Greece got word, they started favoring this talking head of Orpheus over Apollo's own oracle at Delphi. So Apollo who didn't mind that this mortal man could play that instrument of his so beautifully. Did mind this. This was too much. He relieved Orpheus of that last life which breathed through some talking head. Orpheus at last tasted the darkness of death and in that darkness found the light 
the life, the love, Eurydice. flooding back to me now. I wonder if Orpheus was singing that Magnetic Fields lyric when Dionysus' minions tore him limb from limb. Well, let's put him back together again. Salutations from space and aloha from Earth. This is Gemini Brett, astrolonaut of more than astrology and celestial navigator of this here storytelling podcast. It has been a while, and I've missed you. Been up to a lot of other things. Hopefully you've seen. I think it was about three and a third months ago when I last recorded a storytelling show, and that was with Maria Stark, who you just heard, playing harp and singing below that Orpheus tale. You can check Maria out at her Music website, mariastarkmusic.com, M-A-R-Y-A, starkmusic.com. Thank you, sister, for all that you do. And thank you, and you, and you, and you. And thank to Mercury. We're going to talk about him today. Though today is Thursday, Thursday, Jupiter's Day, April 21st, 2016. And I'm recording this in West Seattle's Lincoln Park, as I love to do. Jupiter in the sign of Virgo on the rise right now. And in a kind of loose trine to a Taurus Mercury, very close to the Gemini midheaven. Taurus Mercury. A lot of Taurusian, Venusian energy going down right now. The sun is in Taurus, third degree. And the moon is in the last degrees of Libra, preparing to align for a Scorpio full moon here in some hours' time. The Scorpio full moon to a cycle that began in Aries. So perhaps we think of Mars, and perhaps Venus is as well, as she is aligning to Uranus and that sign of Aries here in the next couple of days. But Mercury is singing to us from the evening sky in the sign of Taurus. And this Orpheus story, well, it makes me think of Hermes, Mercury, and also of Dionysus. So we're going to see if we can bring all three together. Speak about threes and Fours. I'd really like to talk about the elements today, and in a sense, the directions. Right now, I'm walking to my east altar in Lincoln Park. Yeah, I have an altar in the park, or really, it has me. There's places where I kind of connect to all of the directions when I'm out here, and I've been out here a lot lately because there's like ridiculous construction going down on my street at home, which starts at about 7 in the morning, which is well before I like to start. I'm a star man, you know. So it's been these strange mornings and then a slow get up and go and spending time in this beautiful Seattle spring weather here, mostly in Lincoln Park, and uh, connecting with Mercury in the evening skies. He's visible right now, and that doesn't happen too often, about every four months. So I've been coming out here during the day, sometimes alone, sometimes with others, and connecting to these four altars that call me in the park, and we'll start here in the east. 
Now, many systems will have different elemental associations with the directions. The east, traditionally the rising sign on the wheel, astrologically speaking, is Aries. So many see the fire in the east. That's not really how I connect to the essence of this direction. And for me, first of all, all of the elements live in all the directions. All of the directions live in all of the elements. But there's a little bit more of a, of a local association with the east as the element of air. It's a rare association. And I think regardless of what element we want to associate with the east, we can certainly call it the rise. Yeah, this is where everything rises and then sets in the west. For those of us in the northern hemisphere, culminating in the south on its way there to its rest And those in the southern hemisphere will see the culmination of the planets and the sun and such in the northern sky. So here we are in the east and we'll hear these beautiful birds that sing of sunrise and new beginnings. And maybe you'll hear some of the cars in the background. But I like to hear them as a whistling wind. And now I'm just checking in with this incredible plant called Trillium. And it has been gracing this east altar in the park for the last couple weeks. It won't be around that much longer. In fact, there's only one kind of remote Trillium plant here that still has its flower. Incredibly mercurial flower in its symbology. Now, first of all, all flowers might feel pretty Venus, right? Um, And there might be a little Saturn involved in Trillium. Its medicinal portions tend to live in its roots. But if you dig it up, you kill the plant. And they're pretty rare these days, so please do not. I've been successfully avoiding the temptation to even pick the flower of this plant to take home. Um, so I've just been sitting with it and having these plant sits and softening my gaze with this intention to connect more to the body-mind of Earth and to open my own. Planet sit, no problem for me. That's my practice, and I highly recommend it. Plant sit's a little bit different. You know, I find it requires me to attempt to slow down to Earth's pace, or at least the plant's pace and um, it's not my forte but this plant is so amazing and I could just stare at it all day now Mercury's number is three Hermes thrice great Trismegistus Thoth Jehuti three retrogrades a year three weeks at a time and where those three retrogrades align will typically all be in the elements of a kind. In the middle of Mercury's retrograde period, it's like a new Mercury. Mercury between the Earth and the Sun. The retrograde Mercury means Mercury is passing the Earth. And just in the middle of that passing, he finds his way directly in between Earth and Sun. Especially in this coming cycle, May of 2016. So this will happen typically three times a year, 116 days apart on average. Because we had our first this year of 2016, this calendar year, on January 14th, we'll actually have four this year. Because 116 times three, this is 348, you see, less than 365.242. So we will actually see three Mercury interior conjunctions this year. I'd like to confirm that that's true. January 14th, I know that was the first, and it was in the sign of the Capricorn. I remember it was about 23 degrees Capricorn. And we'll have one coming up in Taurus, about... 21st degree of Taurus on May 9th and then September 21st 
in Virgo, the 21st degree. And yeah, December 28th, so right at the end of this Gregorian calendar year of 2016, the 8th degree of Capricorn. All right. And then in 2017, on April 20th, 420, bro, first degree of Taurus, and on August 26th, fourth degree of Virgo. So check it out. These are all the Earth signs, right? So Mercury makes these grand trines, these equilateral triangles. And I shouldn't just say Mercury, Earth, Mercury, Sun. In these alignments, when Mercury's between the Earth and the Sun, his interior conjunction back in the day was called the inferior conjunction. Still is by the astronomers and many astrologers. And look at that. So he made one about 23 degrees Capricorn, 21 degrees Taurus, 21 degrees Virgo coming up. And then starting in late December this year and into 2017, the eighth degree of Capricorn, the first degree of Taurus, the fourth degree of Virgo. So all of these are earth signs, right? And the way the elements align on the wheel of life is in these equilateral triangles. So this is another reason why Hermes Trismegistus, Mercury, has this number three. And this is what the trillium's all about. Now, there's a lot of Venusian medicine in Trillium, but it also, I understand, has some profound effects for the nervous system, which is a kind of mercurial thing, like traditional association. And regardless, the threes really show up. Obviously, we hear this in the name Trillium. But um, the leaves, there's three leaves. There's three petals of the flower. There's three sepals, kind of the green leaves just underneath the petals. There's three stigma, I believe, and nine stamens, but the nine stamens form a perfect equilateral triangle, a perfect pyramid with three on each side. So three, 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 right? And um, in the leaves, there's this beautiful pattern. Maybe I'll use a picture of this trillium for this podcast post so you can take a look. If not, have an internet search for trillium if you don't know the plant, but in the leaves, there is the shape that is drawn um, in like the Irish knot. Okay, I just said my thank you and see you later and we're gonna take a walk and we'll head towards the south. Yeah, the Irish knot. Well, so, you know, and this is easier with video, but sacred geometry, you've got your circle. Take a circle of the same radius and draw it at any point of the circumference of the first circle, and you create that sacred shape of the mandorla, the sacred almond, the vesica Pisces, the womb of creation, a shape I imagine you are familiar with. A third circle centered at either of the intersection points of the first two will create three circles, and in that imagery you see the shape that we often call the Irish knot. And that's symbolized over time, body, mind, and spirit, these different trinities. And so we see this in the trillium leaf and also in the numbers of its flowers and sepals. So I've been coming here and celebrating the trillium in the east and in a way connecting that to Mercury's energy because... Well, I'm always very connected to Mercury, but especially at this time when he can be seen. I've been working very magically with his energy, having this opportunity to speak with him face-to-face, which is pretty rare with Mercury. He spends most of his time under the beams in the invisible spaces. And he's just about to do this dance. The as above, so below, as above dance. Mercury, the glyph, the only one of the traditional planets that is created with all three of the symbols used to make planet glyphs, the crescent of consciousness or soul, the circle of spirit, and the cross of matter. Okay, so again, 
mind, spirit, and body. You could also see three as body, mind, and heart. In one of the Gurdjieffian analogies, it was horse, driver, and cart. And what about these four elements? And so Mercury does this amazing thing. He does so many amazing things. Um, But one is to call our consciousness, our collective consciousness, into a specific element each year. Here, two years. He will either have four of his dances in an element or six. And the current Earth dances, there's six of them, as I mentioned before. Capricorn, Taurus, Virgo, and then again Capricorn, Taurus, Virgo, and then he'll move on to address the fire element. In the chart, you know, zodiacal motion, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, etc. It goes Aries, or goes, sorry, fire, earth, air, water. Mercury's attention, collective consciousness, intention, or focus, heads backwards through the elements, the opposite order. So... Mercury was doing the water thing in 2012, 2013. The last couple years have been air. Now into the earth. And late next year of 2017, he'll start bringing our consciousness towards the fire. So what are these elements and how do they show up in mercurial ways? Well... We could think of the earth as the body and the senses, the air as the intellect, the reasoning functions, this kind of thing, the fire as the intuition, the spirit, the water as the feelings and the heart. So in a sense, in that kind of Myers-Briggs way, you have your intuitive function, your thinking function, your feeling function, and your sensing function. Yeah, thinking, air, intuitive, fire, feeling, water, sensing, earth. The senses. This is the body-mind. And this is where Mercury is calling our focus at this time. So in a sense, when Mercury makes this new Mercury alignment, he's about to make one on May 9th in the sign of Taurus, but his last one was in Capricorn on January 14th, 2016. And when he makes that, he's kind of getting, he's in the throne room of the king, it's called, or in the heart of it, Kazemi. And in a sense, you see, he's getting tuned to the intention, to the new message. This is one of Mercury's gigs, right? What is the message? And, and even though since that time, well, he's spun through Capricorn and Aquarius and Pisces and Aries and now is living in Taurus, well, he's been carrying this kind of Capricorn focus or been calling the collective consciousness into the Capricorn mind. Shamanic astrology calls this the overtone of Mercury. They start when Mercury goes direct. That also happened in Capricorn. I think it was January 25th. Um, I kind of like this idea of when Mercury's between us and the sun, getting the news, at least the seed planted then. And the, the word that's come to me for it is the overmind. So we all have Mercury on our chart, but what is the overmind, right? I mean, you might have Mercury in Sagittarius, but he last made this alignment between the Earth and the Sun in the sign of Libra, for example. So your personal consciousness is more aligned to Sagittarius intentions and and the fire mind and the intuitive, and yet in service to this investigation of the global mind or the collective consciousness keyed into Libra, its archetypal themes, and the air element, you see. So Mercury by element is a really fun uh, investigation in the song, which is what I call the birth chart, you might know. It's one of the principal things that I will look at before I sit down 
for an astrological consultation in somebody's song. And, you know, the idea is, okay, well, Mercury represents how we think and learn and communicate and express ourselves and create, you know. It's kind of consciousness function. And, well, if someone's got a water sign Mercury, I'm going to try to really speak to their heart. If it's Earth, I might tell stories more or bring some physical objects into the scene and really, like, get my body moving and focus even more than typical if they're sitting with me on the tee. If it's air, well, I might be less hesitant to just get astrological with it and get into the chart. So, what is your Mercury by element? And if you don't know, even more fun. First guess. Just what element is it? Okay, is my consciousness more tuned to thinking? Air, feeling, water, intuition, fire, kind of that gut knowing? Or earth, embodiment, body, senses? I want to learn with something in my hand, you know, through a practice. So guess that about yourself before you look, if you don't know. And has it been confirmed? Is Mercury in that element according to how you feel your consciousness? If not, check the element of your moon. And of course, there's many things that will flavor the way Mercury, Mercury's, where he is by house in the chart, how he aspects other planets, and also is he a morning star or an evening star, and that's very important. But just dig into that first, by element. Is that true for you? Thinking, intuition, feeling, body, sensing. Air, fire, water, earth. In that order, I've said that enough. Now, here's the thing about Mercury. Because he's so close to the sun we can never see him more than 27 degrees from it, okay? So each sign is 30 degrees, and that means Mercury either has to be in the same sign as your sun sign, or in the sign before or the sign after, okay? For example, today the sun is in Taurus, and that means Mercury has to be either Taurus or in the neighbors of Taurus, which are Aries or Gemini, yeah? So the Mercury element options today are Aries, fire, Taurus, earth, or Gemini, air. There is not a water sign option. But Mercury could be very strongly aligned to Neptune, which brings in a watery essence, Pluto, which brings in a different watery essence. All sorts of things could happen. And again, the moon is about to move into Scorpio, which in many essences is another side of consciousness. I mean, all planets participate with consciousness since that in and of itself is kind of all that is. But the moon specifically can really speak to, I guess, more of our unconsciousness, or as shamanic sees it, and I love this for the moon, it's our lineage, it's where we're coming from. So Mercury would be how we're here intending to learn, to learn and speak and create and communicate in these things, where the moon is more like how we've always done it. Other paradigms see it as moon is more like subconscious and Mercury more is like the conscious consciousness. Um, Either way, the blend of the two will speak a lot about um, how you think about the way you think. So check those out with elements, yeah? And it's a really fun game to play. I mean, you know the sun sign of most of your friends and family because you know their birthdays. So just before you look at their chart... Think about this. Okay, here's somebody. Do they express more with their mind or with their heart or with their body or intuitively, like more psychically? And expect that of others, right? So, for example, your boyfriend has, what, uh, sun sign in Scorpio. And you know he's like a thinking air sign, word communicator, this kind of thing, right? So if the sun's in Scorpio... Mercury either has to be in Scorpio or in Scorpio's neighbors of Libra and Sagittarius. So Libra, air, Scorpio, water, or Sagittarius, fire. And, well, you said that that person has a very kind of air sign 
Mercury, that would be your guess, right? So Sun in Scorpio and Mercury in Libra. See what I'm saying? And so your boyfriend is me. Well, I'm glad I found out. How about a cup of tea? All right. Um, And let's see, what else would that mean? That means Mercury in Libra rose before that Scorpio sun. So that's Mercury's morning star. If Mercury was in Sagittarius, evening star, because Scorpio rises before Sagittarius. Today, for example, the sun is in the third degree of Taurus and Mercury's in the 21st degree of Taurus. Well, the third degree rises first. So Mercury is evening star, right? The third degree of Taurus where the sun is now will set first and Mercury, the 21st degree of Taurus, will actually be high enough in the western sky for us to see. Kind of the last day today. It's been a good run this last week, longer than usual. Because again, Mercury is so close to the sun. So other things we can bring in besides Mercury's element. Of course, the houses, the aspects to other planets, this is always a thing in our astrological recipes. Um, But where Mercury is in his cycle. Is he a morning star? Is he an evening star? Is he visible or invisible? Is he direct or retrograde? Those will all tell us where Mercury is in this dance that he does with the Earth and the Sun. And that's called his synodic cycle. Yeah? Synod means meeting. So all planets have sidereal cycles, and all planets have synodic cycles. And the greatest example often is to start with the moon, because we are so much more familiar with the moon. The moon moves through every degree of the zodiac in 27.3 days because that's how long it takes for the moon to orbit the earth. But we usually celebrate the moon by new moon to new moon or full moon to full moon, a lunation cycle, the soli lunar cycle or luni solar cycle because that has to do with the relationship of the moon and sun. And because the earth is also moving around the sun, or from our experience, the sun is also moving through the signs and constellations of the zodiac, well, then it's going to take the moon more than 27.3 days to catch up with the sun again. So new moon to new moon is 29 and a half days. Okay, so the sidereal cycle, its orbit 27.3, the synodic cycle of the moon... New moon to new moon, 29.5 days. And for Mercury, 88 days around the sun. Super fast. Right? The speedster. 88 keys on the piano, you know? Interesting. Especially because we know Mercury is the one who brought music to us along with language and the written word and mathematics and astronomy and astrology and such. 52 white keys on those pianos with 88. We have 52 weeks in a year, right? 36 black keys. Well, 12 months, perhaps times three for Trismegistus. There's also 36 deacons or faces on the astrological wheel if you split it into 10 degree sections. Yeah, it's an old practice back to the Egypt days. So all this seems to speak to Mercury. Hermes, who brought us astrology, Thoth, Juhuti. 52 white keys of those 88, 88 day orbit of the sun for Mercury. And Mercury's days are 52, Earth days long. And I think I'll get back to that because that's a really important part I find of Mercury's song, especially at this time when he's calling us into the body mind. So that's Mercury's sidereal period, his orbit of the sun, but the Earth is also orbiting, right? So to have these new Mercuries, if we want to call it that, with Mercury between the Earth and the sun, every 116 days on average. Okay, so 88-day sidereal for Mercury, 116 synodic, synod meaning the meeting of Earth, Mercury, sun. For Venus, 225 days, around the sun, but 584 days 
for Venus and the Earth and the Sun to align. Venus between us and the Sun. So all planets, sidereal and synodic. And this cycle of Mercury, at least the way that we witness it, because we're on Earth, is going to be more aligned to the synodic cycle, you see. So Mercury will show himself in the morning sky. And this happened in January. It happens at the end of his retrograde cycle. He pops up in the morning. All right, what's happening when Mercury is retrograde is literally Mercury is passing the Earth in their orbits, their mutual orbits around the sun. And when an interior planet like Mercury or Venus passes the Earth, they are retrograde. They start moving backwards, apparently, for us through the zodiac and the signs and the constellations. When Earth passes an outer planet like Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, etc., they appear to be moving backwards through the constellations and signs of the zodiac. All right, so either way, retrograde means an interior planet is passing us or we are passing an exterior planet. And when Mercury is retrograde, he's moving from evening star to morning star. In a way, Mercury is seated with the new overmind intention at that time in the middle of his retrograde when he is just between Earth and Sun. Kazemi, it's called, in the throne room of the king, in the heart of it, getting that new message. And shortly after, he shows himself in the morning sky. He's young, you see. He's rising before the sun. He's super eager, right? And this can represent that in your chart if you have Mercury as a morning star. For example, I have a Scorpio sun. I have a Libra Mercury. So it's an air sign Mercury for me. Communication, learning, expression, creation through the word, through thought. Yeah. And morning. So kind of extra eager in that way. (laughs) We have this plane going ahead. It's like shooting up before the sun. And, well, I like to talk if you haven't noticed, right? And I love to listen to and learn and just explore. And um, and then we can bring the Libra themes into the bit too, right? Hopefully communication for balance and peace and relationship. And that requires me to remember I have as many ears as mouths. In fact, I have more. It can be a challenge for me. I mean, there's a whole other thing because Mercury in my chart is very strongly conjunct Pluto. So that's going to have some of the mercurial crow essence of going into the dark places to bring back the shiny stuff and hopefully providing that service and consultations for folks, helping them see some of the shadow and bringing it to the light. Yeah, And that also shown in the sense that even my Libra Mercury is reflecting the light of the Scorpio sun, right? But either way, my Mercury is morning, eager, early. And Mercury, Hermes, was typically shown as a little kind of fresh-faced baby. That trickster Mercury who snuck out of his crib on the first day of his life and freed a tortoise from its shell and stole his brother Apollo's cows and walked them backwards in his own tracks to make sure that he couldn't be followed, yeah. And walking the cows backwards in their own tracks, clearly a Mercury retrograde kind of thing, right? Sacrificed one of the cows, killed another to take its guts and create strings on that tortoise shell and invented the first ever stringed instrument, the lyre, the harp, and therefore invented harmony, yeah? And became a god on the first day of his life. And this is just kind of this eager morning star trickster... Um, in a sense, baby Mercury, fresh, young. And especially if Mercury is morning star for you, and that means, you know, if you're looking at your chart, he's clockwise from the sun, okay? Because that means as you spin the wheel clockwise, as we do with diurnal motion, that Mercury is going to rise before the sun does. And now, especially, especially if Mercury is at least 15 degrees from the sun, maybe 17 degrees from the sun, 
then those are the times when Mercury will be visible in the morning sky before the sun rises. Once he gets within 15 degrees, even 17, Mercury goes under the beams, disappears into the darkness, and he's gone for most of the time. He's invisible most of the time. That invisibility for Mercury, that shifts him a little bit more into psychopomp mode, right? One of Mercury's gigs as a god was to be the guide for the souls who die to bring them into their new world below. Like he brought Eurydice down after Orpheus looked too quickly. The things we didn't, didn't do, right? He didn't not look too quickly. I stopped to just think about Prince who passed today and thinking about this new beautiful songs that might be happening below and Mercury hopefully being a wonderful psychopomp. Um, so when Mercury's invisible, there's a bit of that. You know, it's also the mind going through the initiation. It can't be seen. It's going into the shadow. It's going into the dark places. We have this energy maybe of like depth psychology, astrology, what makes the heart tick. It's kind of, in shamanic astrology, we call that Mercury being in the underworld. <laughs> and we can think about Crow again, as our friend here reminds us too. You know, that beautiful black camouflage to be able to go into the darkness and to bring back the shiny stuff. Mercury was that one who could take souls to the other dimensions and bring them back safely. He also has a great memory and a great voice and will let you know when he's had enough of you. So let's move along from this beautiful mossy patch that we've been hanging out in and make our way back to the southern or to the southern altar here. So, Mercury, morning star, fresh, young, fun, eager, and then moving through this in initiation behind the sun. I mean, halfway through his travel behind the sun, which is a, more than two months long, he makes this other alignment to the sun, the superior conjunction, or the exterior conjunction, Mercury on the other side of the sun from Earth. And so if Mercury is like exactly with the sun and Mercury's direct on your chart, that's what this means. That means Mercury was literally as far from Earth as he can get on the other sun, under the beams, in the darkness. And that alignment especially really has some of the psychopomp, you know, ability to help folks transition in or out of the human experience. Etc. And then Mercury separates himself after he passes behind the sun from the sun from our point of view and shows himself in the west at the end of his quest. And this is this other way Mercury was shown as kind of the bearded sage at the end of his cycle. Shows himself in the west and even before he stations retrograde. He's got to hit the brakes, you see? <laughs> because when we shift from drive to reverse, we've got to hit the brakes and put it in park. Unless you have like crazy days of thunder skills and magical clutch, whatever. If anyone has that stuff, it's Mercury, but he chooses not to use it. Instead, he hits the brakes, he slows down. And as he slows down, you see the sun starts moving faster than Mercury from our point of view. So even before Mercury goes retrograde, after he's shown himself in the West for a very short time, the sun starts overtaking him. And what we'll see is Mercury getting lower and lower every night after sunset. He really doesn't show himself for that long. Depends what sign he's in. Here in the spring in Taurus, we actually get Mercury for a good amount of time in the evening sky, which has been really wonderful because he is the planet you are least likely to get a glimpse of, the trickster, and he's always pretty low. And he kind of twinkles, planets don't, right? Stars do, but he's hanging out usually in this strange horizon of human pollution and such, so more of a twinkle than normal. 
even the water and whatever down there is going to help Mercury have more of that twinkling vibe. But lately it's been really bright and higher than you might expect. The screen of the heavens is a little larger than the iPhone screen in your astronomy app or whatever. And uh, it's just a really wonderful time to connect with Mercury eye to eye and see that he's at the end of the cycle. So in January 2016, he kind of started this Capricorn dance, bringing our focus there, really eager, young, fun, going through his initiation and now showing himself in the evening kind of in sage mode, you see, having earned this wisdom of the Capricorn mind, which is wisdom, which is the trunk of the tree and the roots, the ancestry, the lineage, and the structures of things. So we've been called to look into what is true organic structure and what is false structure. Yeah, what is the fake stuff? I mean, it's interesting that at this time we're having um, lots of the entertainment division of empire (laughs) politics on display. And we're having our attention called a lot to the super false structures, you know. Bernie Sanders, I think, has been a great voice here for Mercury in the Earth. Capricorn, Capricorn in modern times, and probably traditionally so, associated with governance, which is structure. With police, which can be structure, can be very false structure, yeah. And we think about this debt-based currencies, you know, and the banks and all this stuff that's really on the public mind, you know. And I love that there's been these um, demonstrations at the Capitol building in D.C., the Democracy Spring, I think they're calling it, right? And these sit-ins and people walking for hundreds of miles to get there um, to really bring this focus into the broken political system which really has little democracy left within it and seems to be supporting big money and corporations and all that. So you know as much as you want to know about that. I don't need to get all political here, but see that? See, with Mercury bringing our focus to Capricorn, we've been meant to look at that in a new way. So think about that, just like absolutely restructuring structure itself and bringing our mind into the earth, into the body minds. There's a lot of things that are happening right now too where like things are being unburied and this has been happening for some time and certainly Pluto moving through Capricorn which is 2008 till 2024 um, will help with this but see when Mercury brings some of that energy in, that consciousness in, well what's buried in the earth? What's buried in our bodies and what's buried in the body of Gaia? So we have all of these um, archaeological surprises happening. I've been posting a lot about that on, on my Facebook, you know, which is Gemini Bread. If we're not friends there, hook it up. Um, so think about that. Our consciousness going into the earth to bring back these secrets, and maybe especially with Capricorn, what's in the roots of the earth? What are our roots? Where are we coming from, yeah? And so after Mercury is evening star, like he is now, the sun starts overcoming him. He disappears. He goes back into the, under the beams, into the underworld. And this is a short trip through, stationing retrograde, which is his three-week pass of the earth. And then he moves from evening star and that wisdom and that bearded sage stage. And he comes through and he gets burned. That gets burned off. And then he gets the new message from the sun, you know. And then he comes back and he's born in the morning. So retrograde Mercury in your chart, if it's evening, right, that's kind of like, okay, cool, I found this sagacity, this wisdom, and now i got to let it go so I can jump into a new intent, right? If it's morning, I'm like totally fresh, you know, rising before the sun, and yet I can't even be seen. I'm still kind of breaking out of this egg, And so that doesn't mean like, oh, well, your consciousness then is slow or something. That's ridiculous, right? It's actually really close to the fire. It's really close to the new message. Um, And, well, I think I'll leave that there for now. So fun things you can do with your Mercury. Is he 
an evening star or a morning star? Sage face or kind of eager young face? And guess that about yourself before you look, if you don't know. Is he fast or is he slow? That's a thing we can do another time. That's, you know, maybe more advanced and something certainly I'll be teaching in my upcoming video series. Um, and then the speed of the moon is a very interesting part of that too. What is Mercury by element? Yeah? So thinking, feeling, body or intuition, body meaning sensing, right? Air, water, earth and fire, there. Um, is he visible or invisible? You have that quality more of going inside, that crow gift, these kinds of things. Is he retrograde? Is he in this transitionary phase? Yeah. And this other thing of knowing where Mercury is in your chart, where he is in the cycle, and also looking to where that cycle began. And what you do there is to see when Mercury was retrograde aligned to the sun before your birth. Check it out. All this is really fun, beautiful things to do with Mercury. And I realize we've done this all in the East. And I've been rapping for some time now. And so what I think I'm gonna do is make this into a two-part episode, or maybe we'll even make it three. Yeah, that sounds right, thrice great. And so in the next episode, we'll really start by honoring this idea of death and rebirth. Because I want to speak about how Orpheus, to me, shows this Mercury cycle. That there's this cosmological or astronomical correlation or association to that great story of Orpheus. And we're going to connect him to Dionysus and to Mercury, Hermes, Trismegistus. And to say also that Mercury, in this cycle, calls our attention not to this trans, only to this transition from one sign to the next for a transition of the overmind, the focus of the collective consciousness. And we're about to transition from Capricorn to Taurus, if you're listening to this around the time of its recording in April 2016 or May. Um, later in this year, September, transitioning from Taurus to Virgo, and then in December from Virgo to Capricorn. And in the year 2017, we'll have another Taurus and Virgo overmind experience, and then we shift into the fire and come out of the body-mind and more into the t intuition. So I'm going to speak about in this next one a little bit more about death and rebirth and how this is shown in all of the different planetary energies. And I think in the third one, I'll speak a little bit more about this coming Taurus overmind alignment. And perhaps we'll speak about some magical tools for manifestation. Well, I hope that's been a fun dance with Mercury and opened some new doors for you to look at this planet on your chart, which is unfortunately often ignored. Mercury. For Mercury, Hermes, Trismegistus, Thrace Great, Thoth, Jehuti. This is the one that brought this astrological gift to us. And as a reflection of the intent of consciousness in this birth song, in your birth chart, well, Mercury is so incredibly important. So dig in to your mercurial self. This is your friendly astronaut Gemini Brett signing off. I will see you in space. <laughs>